episode 17 brother we're moving on up we're moving on up i mean every week it's a new the numbers just keep going up the numbers just keep going up i don't know you know i was thinking about it it's almost like we've been kind of like artificially deflating our numbers because we have had a handful of split like episodes where people probably would have been like oh that's episode 16 17 yeah i don't know i kind of feel like i like i'm I'm open to splitting it up if you ever wanted to but i also kind of feel like i don't know they're like part of the same thing i like they go together i like the part one part two all right because i mean we have the same guest and it's like the same vibe you know, I was thinking about guests and stuff, and and I kind and and while obviously, I mean, having Shelby on was super amazing, and all the guests that we've ever had, I almost feel like it's good when we have if we try to do that maybe like every other week, so that we can have yeah. just like a catch up podcast because there were so many things in the last one that we didn't get to that I wanted to talk about. Yeah, that, then we like, have to just like now I'm, I'm looking at the outline now, and like even some of the stuff I forgot about already. Yeah, that is always the fun thing about having a guest where you kind of go off on tangents. Let you got to let the guest talk. You can't just be like. Oh, we have this outline of things that we talk about, you know, which we do still have a little bit, but we definitely don't go into like interrupt, you know, interrupt the guests to be like, all right, we got to move on to the next segment or something, you know? Word. Yeah. Agreed. But that was uh that was a great episode. That was an awesome one. Um, so the things that I didn't add that I wanted to, I realized that I didn't actually look up being um, how old Jeff Tweedy is. I don't know. Is he, he's, I, I'm going to say 52. I don't know. I didn't look it up. Oh. I just realized that we never address that and also the names of those weird electroharmonics wah pedals where you know they would like rock on the ground but not actually have a bass on them i said i was going to come up with a name for those forgot until now is also so you know what whatever what's funny is we probably could have asked shelby how old jeff tweedy is because i think he's a pretty big tweedy fan well he the, it came up again because he's reading the book and then i don't know why i didn't <laughs> i didn't think to ask but whatever I, I love when our uh like people that we talk about carry into the next week but we don't even really realize it like we talked about Tweety two weeks in a row. We talked yep. about uh, your boy Knopf- Bob Mold Knopfler Mold two weeks in a row. Knopfler like every episode because because he's not he's the Knopf. He's the Knopf. There's no good way to really shorten that one, is there? The Knopf, the K N O P F. No Fleur. Fleur. Flurious fingers. Like <laughs> the flurious. The flur. The flurious one. Well, anyways, we're obviously already in the Ministry of Correction, so we might as well just keep that shit rolling. Great. Um, oh, there was something again, just because of the whole, this is, this is really lame. So a lot of times when we have an episode, I'll like say, for instance, with episode 16, I'll like look up the number 16 and learn some facts about it. And then I totally didn't at all address that in the the episode, the number, the number 16, but, um, the only one that I wanted to say was just cause this was something that I never, I hadn't thought about in a long time. Uh, the name for a 16th note is a a semi-quaver. Oh yeah, and like in musical notation, I just thought that that was pretty cool. Obviously, there's cool. a lot of sixteen stuff, sixteen steps in a bar of music. They call a sixteen a verse in hip hop. This is an episode sixteen, and I didn't look up anything about seventeen because I don't. I mean, what is what is there anything about seventeen really? Yeah, like sixteen bars is a verse in like hip hop. Like if you want to spit yeah, bars, you got to spit 16. sixteen of them. That's right. Uh, the oh, I guess uh, seventeen by Winger. That's a song. She's only 17. Which, that song, I mean, Winger has gotten a deservedly horrible reputation, but when you listen to that guitar riff, it's fucking awesome, dude. And, like, very hard to play. You know, the the thing that people, like, kind of get wrong about the, the 80s, you know, hair metal bands is most of them were actually really fucking good players. 
Oh, absolutely. That like, was the time of overplaying and woodshedding and all that kind yeah. of crazy stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, Kip Winger, man. I mean, people are like, oh, they suck. But it's like, well, they really didn't suck. They're just, their songs yeah. were dumb. And I feel like the only reason I ever thought Winger sucked was because I had no frame of reference other than Beavis and Butthead. Beavis and Butthead. The, the lame dude wore a Winger shirt. He always wore a Winger that's shirt. All, that's all. <laughs> that's it. That's the only I reason. I that guy's I, name. I, I have no idea what it was. Uh, it was like their did. neighbor who was like bothering him all the time yeah. and stuff. So Beavis and Butthead is specifically the reason. I, I've always thought Winger was lame. And if that's the case, then Metallica and ACDC rule. Well, I mean, they do. They do. <laughs> so, I guess it plays out. Mike Judge for the win. Timeless. Still haven't checked out uh, Tales. What is it? Tales? Tales from, from the Tour Bus. Tales from the Tour Bus. Oh, Thank man. You you're I supposed know, to dude. watch every episode. Well, I know, but I, I discovered... Uh, well, first of all, I just haven't had as much time as I did in the recent past. Because is it available to you? Do you have... You have access to it. I mean, I think so. It's okay. if it's on if it's on HBO or something like it's that. It's on Showtime. Oh, then I've yeah. I I've don't got, know if they have like the on demand list or whatever. I'll have to look. I've got. I know that I, I know that I've seen it on one of the apps that I have my dad's login for. You know. Yeah. Um, but I just haven't watched it yet. I discovered it. This is this will probably not make the podcast, but I just mainlined this ridiculous Netflix show uh, called Rust Valley Restoration. Oh man, I I just uh, flagged it yesterday, dude. I watched the whole. Th- I finished it last night after really? work. It's yeah. I it's... almost started the first episode and then I watched a uh, doc, which we'll talk about. Oh, and then we'll talk about. But dude, <laughs> I I mean, it's it's first of all, it's Canadian. Yeah. So the, I mean, just like the level of the the polite nature of everybody is hilarious. But then there are also these just like gruff car, you know, grease monkey dudes. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's. I loved it. I loved it so much. I will say, I no spoilers, but it does take quite a turn at the end. Really. So, uh, wasn't expecting. I that. love that when those um, because you think it's like the basic like you know gas monkey type thing. Where yeah, like they're fixing cars up, but then when they actually have like an underlying theme or plot, that's those that's cool. exactly what happens. Really, and you and you really start to care about the people because they're they're nice and and it's like a father son. And then mm-hmm. there's this the kooky weird guy named Avery. There's always like the friend. Yeah, yeah. It's dude. I, I look. I like those kind of kinds of shows. Generally, I love them. But that one—it's one of the best I've seen. So, so Rust okay. Valley Restoration. It's funny too because it'll probably go under—it'll probably go under the radar for a lot of people. You know, the weird thing is, I agree. I don't even know how it came up for me, but I, I randomly mentioned it uh, to some coworkers yesterday, and one of the dudes had already watched it. I was like, "Whoa, cool, wow. yeah, okay." So, you know. I'll I'll definitely binge that one. It's very bingeable. The episodes are like forty minutes each cool. or whatever. Perfect. Um, take my life. Take my life. Uh, social game, pretty strong, hitting little baby milestones. Two hundo. I'm afraid to say it that, that we hit two hundred. It could be on by one. Instagram it could be one ninety eight by the end of the day. <laughs> after your gong post this morning. Well, we got two more followers after that. There we did. See, there you that go. Was all, I was like, hey, let's, I'll post this guy. Games. Here's the thing that happens, and we've talked about this, and I've spent a lot of time going through and curating the list. Like, you try to follow somebody, you go through, you throw them a bunch of likes, it's and hope game. that they follow back. It almost never happens. Yeah. So, like, I I will often go through the follow. Like, I'll add some people like their stuff for a couple weeks, maybe leave some comments. If they're not com- coming back to us, like, I'm just going to unfollow that. You, you can't know? take it personally. Because there's nothing worse than being, seeing that ratio of like 200 followers and following 10,000. It's like, those guys are lame. Yeah. Definitely don't want to like that page. Right. But it's also lame to be to have to be doing the unfollow thing. So, it's, I mean. Whatever. I think the whole thing gets kind of lame, too. Like, just the whole social media game. I know you have to have it. But it's like, I, I think we're doing good by cranking these out one a week. Yeah. And, I, and I think the important thing is that we just stick to what we're doing. People will catch on and they'll like it or they won't. So Yeah, man. You know. Keeping the content fresh, yeah. sticking, sticking true to what we actually, like why we started doing yeah. this to begin with. Yeah. Not get um, too caught up in it. I think that was the big problem. I, I would say that's the big problem with a lot of bands nowadays too. Um, you worry, you start to worry more about marketing and promotion and you either get shittier or you just get frustrated and give up, you know, and that's truth. That's it's a balance, man. It is a balance. You know? 
uh, we'll see how much time we have. That's sort of related to what maybe like something I want to talk about later in the episode. But again, you know, we'll just see how how long we go on tangents and telling stories yeah, and whatever. Um, so yeah, again, social game pretty dece. If you haven't already and you're listening to this, please follow us on Instagram and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or whatever the fucking things are cuz those those are the really the only ones I ever check. I know we're on Google stuff. I I noticed that we also get syndicated like if you just type gear hunks into the Googles, there's a bunch of sites that have our stuff up that I've never heard of, so whatever, I don't really care about that. Sidebar and we can edit this out. But there's a part where uh <laughs> Just make it easy for yeah, you. Right, right exactly. Uh, there's a thing on. I just got an email from Squarespace today about oh. SEO optimization. Oh yeah, I totally got. Did that you see email. that? Yeah. So I don't know if that's something that can help us. I didn't even yeah. click on it because I was busy. But I haven't read it yet. I'm curious. You know, Is obviously, it, do they as, want money? Well, so as you know, as maybe some of our listeners know, I, I'm a search expert. It's what I've done for a really long time. So I'm very curious to see how they yeah. approach that. If they're still going to be talking about link building and and keywords and all that Meta stuff tags. i do I, I mean i add all that stuff in anyways and I, and I follow best practices while building out stuff on our website which by the way i actually finally updated uh dave's docs and riff library this morning i just saw something this morning and i wanted to talk to you about it the oh. text was all crazy on my laptop. i fixed it yeah oh, okay um so it was it was on yours too on it was on mine too so i've been you know squarespace is pretty cool about the different templates they have and the kind of yeah. adjustability i you know I learned how to write HTML code when I was little. So like I understand how all that stuff works, but mm. I'm, I'm just using their yeah. WYSIWYG editor. Why not? And um, I was making some changes to try to make it look a little bit, a little bit cooler. Didn't realize that that was happening with the text until this morning, uh, but I fixed it. Cool, because it cool. was it was basically a kerning issue. I was trying to make things look kerning. look fun, but then it turned out to really screw up all the body text. There was a uh, there was like a little blog before like Instagram or anything, but um, this is totally a design nerd thing, but this person would take around this little character they made called Kearney. He looked kind of like Gumby a little bit. Uh-huh. It was like this little green character. And wherever they found like a book or a poster or something with bad kerning, they would put him next to it and take a picture and then just like post it on their, that was their. So, like, well, so then what defines bad kerning? It's just, you just know, just like legibility. Yeah. Just, okay. just like, you know, out of the rules of like what it should yeah. be and stuff. I think personally that a lot of it's like pretentious design talk, totally. but it's also fun because it was a cute little like guy, but you're also being really snarky at the same time. Yeah. I mean, those crazy pretentious designers, let's get back to being pretentious about music gear. Let's do if, it. You know what I'm saying? But no, for real, I have to update the website. If anybody hasn't checked it out yet, there's a lot of good content starting to starting to use that a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, get some of that, get some of our riff library, uh, Dave's docs. I'm going to start as soon as I have some time. In fact, maybe tonight I'm going to start adding uh, band buds and pod pals as well cool. as their own little separate section. Awesome. Um, so yeah, that's maybe that. one day we'll even get some videos up there. You never know. Oh, we will definitely get some videos up there, which, um, there's one so right the now on the, right uh, now, there's one right now on the gear hunks, uh, YouTube page It is not live because, um, I just wanted to test it, but we are, we're making strides in that direction. That's awesome. Absolutely. That's yeah. really exciting. It's just, it's going to come down to, time because editing video and, mm-hmm. and then rendering video on my 2013 macbook pro just takes a long time mm-hmm. um but you know i i've also it's kind of weird i hadn't even really been thinking about this today but i lately have been really really curious and 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 updating my research on building a hackintosh because Whoa. i uh i want the the thing that's limiting me and and stopping me from making video right now is the fact that I having edited video the last year on this machine I know how long it takes and it's kind of a bummer, 
So that's been the thing. So I, I actually want to get something with some real big beefy graphics cards. Um, but I'm all my software I use is OSX. So yep. um, Hackintosh seems to be kind of the way to go right now. That does limit you when it comes to thing, doing things like updating and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I just don't feel like paying Apple tax right now. Yeah, you know? it'll probably just have to be like that one extra machine. Like obviously not your main computer. Well, I think it would be my main like power lifting machine, yeah. you know, for editing music and, and and video. But then like daily driver, no, absolutely no. not. That it's it might not even. I'd keep it air gapped for for those uh, in the in the in the tech world. That means not connected to yeah, the internet for sure. Um, it's a lot like the computer we have at the practice space. Like it just does right. that one function. It just does that thing. And then we don't even have like hooked up to Wi-Fi. Yeah, unfortunately, I can't buy an old Mac mini to do this. It has to be something modern oh, and beefy that... as shit because oh, really? you need you need graphics processing power. Yeah. And that's just shit. that's just what it is. Anyways, yeah, I've been thinking about the Hackintosh thing lately. It's probably going to have to happen. Cool. Um, that's exciting though. So yeah. Is that camera working pretty good for video? I mean, I saw the video on my phone that yeah. you sent, but... I'm going to have to get some I've never glass. taken one piece of video with that thing. The so. lens is, it's a kit lens, you yeah. know, so it's going to be, it's fine. And, and for certainly what we're doing right now, more than good enough, <laughs> I was already um, researching it and then also making offers on Canon lenses for people <laughs> because like I, I'm, I it, prime lenses are just always going to look better, especially when it comes to video because yeah. they allow in more light um, and, and I don't have a professional lighting rig yet. I know. Uh, so. And man, we used to have these um we used to have these damn spotlights at the space and I don't oh, really? know what happened to them, man. They would even like I mean they were hot. They would generate heat, yeah. but they were they were made for like filming commercials and stuff. Totally. And I don't know what the fuck happened to them. Those are those are awesome. I mean, you have to get diffusers for those yep. too because otherwise oh, they are real sharp lights. So intense. Is real intense. And then like you said, the old ones, you can get those for cheaper now because I have been looking at those a lot yeah, too. They're like industrial. They're just so hot, man. Like Dude. you like I'm already a sweaty beast as it is, like I'll pay the modern fee to just go LED. We you know used to, um, when the heat wasn't working in the practice space for about like one season, it actually like they, they wouldn't fix it. I don't know what was going on. Sometimes it would turn on, sometimes it wouldn't. So sometimes it was 45 degrees in the room or 50 degrees in the room. We would turn those things on just to heat up like our hands. And so oh, we yeah. could play That's and it would work. That's pretty cool. Yeah, you know, it's uh, interesting. A little sidebar here. I've been obviously learning a lot about different things re related to rehearsal spaces and that sort of thing lately. Almost all of them, especially in the city of Chicago, are, um, I thought of it because of the heat thing, are actually classified as storage spaces with ancillary rehearsal. That's so if you look at any way, lease right? for in a rehearsal studio in Chicago, because otherwise they have, the way the laws and all the regulations are set up, you have to basically get an, enter an entertainment license, mm. which is super expensive and really difficult to maintain. And you set up your, yourself for all this liability. So any rehearsal studio in Chicago is on the lease. It'll say it'll say storage space with ancillary rehearsal. And then almost never do they act because it's a storage space. Do they say anything about uh, heater air conditioning it's it's if they're there it's essentially like an like, amenity it, it's it's just a freebie bonus right but none of them have to provide that wow yeah. wow so okay yeah. that's good to know it's good to know that's I, good I to know, know when i like bug my landlord if the you know if it's too damn cold in the room in exactly the they don't they literally don't have to do anything i mean i haven't seen the lease that you signed but i mean i've i have signed a lease there we're before not on, we're not on a lease <laughs> well so there you go yeah, yeah it's month to month and i think one day well, we, they all are they're all just, month to month but too. I mean, it, you know, we've been there for 12 years. Yeah. I think one day we could just probably up and, you know, take our shit and leave and, and just leave them the key knows, and be yeah. like, whatever, dude. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, 
learning the sort of politics of all that sort of stuff. To get back to what we're talking about, website, we did update all the sections. I also loaned Shelby a copy of Feeding Back. Um, so that that was cool. I'm, I'm Shelby. If you're if you better be listening right now, um, I expect a book report on my desk by 12 p.m. tomorrow. <laughs> right. um, but anyways, we had Shelby on this yeah, week. Shelby great. Pollard from Chicago Music what Exchange. What a guest, man! He was awesome. Great talks, man. Mm-hmm. We got pretty deep into the uh, I don't know the sort of existential nature of music. It's a and, good way to put and, it. And all the we obviously there was a lot of gear talk happening in there but a I lot think of it history was talk was in the cool. service of of kind of expanding our our minds bro and like our understanding of of how these instruments play out and and the way that shelby talked about this idea how this the story this this american story of you know the couple the two companies facing mm-hmm. off and how interesting it is uh from a sociological standpoint has definitely kind of resonated with me and it's been something that i've been thinking about a lot lately actually yeah, me too um sort of just like I, I not that I have any major new conclusions or anything about it. Mm-hmm. I just it's been on my mind. So great guest. If you haven't listened yet, go check out the last two episodes. Yeah, uh, episode 16, 16 one yeah. and two. Uh, there's about 90, 90 to a hundred minutes of solid hunk content. Good driving content. Great driving. Co- if you, yeah, tu- if you're commuting, if you're touring, if you're commuting, doing a little weekend jaunt. Mm-hmm. So let's be honest. Most people that say they're touring, they're doing jaunts. Yeah. It's like two gigs over four days. Of that, course. You got to take like Friday off work. That's not a tour, but <laughs> yeah. how many how many show post how many tour posters have you seen where it's like three fucking gigs spread out over the course of four months? You I know? Midwest tour 2019, bro. It says here you're playing in July and then not again till October. Yeah. And <laughs> and both of them are the same venue. <laughs> yeah. Not a tour. Clever. Um, but one of the things actually I wanted to this is this isn't really like a major topic of, dis- of discussion, but um, Shelby had mentioned Chess Records and how we need to go on that tour, and I just want to bring that back up because I really want to do that. I looked it up so today. Let's go ch- oh, you did? Yeah, I just went to their like TripAdvisor just to kind of see because somebody made a TripAdvisor about cool. it. Cool. And uh, they just said it's if I mean if you're in the Chicago Blues, Rolling Stones, it's basically just like a haven for all of that stuff. Is is what I'm hearing. Did you happen to notice their hours of operation? I didn't. Like I was that? looking for hours, and I was looking for just like general information. But it was more of just like people's experiences going there, Word. Well, um, which made me just want to go more. Let's find it. Let's find a good time, and we'll just do a little hunk outing. It'll be a little good content. We haven't generator. had a good hunk outing in it's a while. It's been a while. Yeah, I mean, we had we had really the Villa Park show was yeah, kind of the biggest. That one. was like two months ago. It feels like years. ago. I know. Oh right. So uh, continuing down this uh, Ministry of Corrections, I don't um, actually. You know what? I do have it in front of me. So uh, we've been talking a lot about our our good friend Steve, uh, engineer uh, professor Steve, uh, aka Speakers, and uh, he actually left another or sent me a pretty lengthy message because I was, um, you know, I read his his notes from last week kind of talked a little bit of shit kind of made fun of him a little bit but all all in good fun because i love steve i love how we're like telecommunicating too we are you're just reading messages back you're like pen pals well okay so this this brings me to my next point is that i feel like we've got a new segment uh and that's called speakers says uh because (laughs) he's he said i you know i gave him some guff about not responding about being on the show his thing is basically like hey like I would totally do it, but all he's like, I think he's more worried that he's not a full time musician. He, he likes to put his guy. thoughts together in like a nice paragraph. He can add the science color, which I'm super thankful for. Thank you again for all of your engagement, Steve. But he did have uh, something new to add about the discussion from last week as well. Great. Let's, let's. I remember hear it. we were talking about um, kind of like the foolhardy nature of measuring your pickups and how that doesn't like it's become this thing where someone will be like, "Well, what's the rating on those pickups?" And and in fact, it kind of really doesn't mean anything. Steve had something interesting to add to that. He said, uh, 
I don't fo- I don't know what folks normally do for measuring impedance of pickups, but the coils, as you guys noted, are inductors and they do have an impedance, which so that's why we measure that because it's kind of easy to measure with a meter. Uh, so blah, blah, blah. They do have an impedance with a real part equal to the resistance of the coil wire and any energy lost to the string and an imaginary part due to the inductance of the coil, which is a reactive impedance. Measuring the resistance obviously won't tell you much more than a combination of the length of wire and the resistance of the wire. But if you also measure the imaginary part of the impedance, what you'll get is function of frequency and the induct and the inductance, which tells you about number of turns, area, etc. And then he goes on to say, Jesus, see why having me on the show would be a bad idea. <laughs> uh, so I, you know, I sort of stumbled through that explanation, but I, I don't expect me or you or anyone else to necessarily learn something from that, but also it was interesting to me to know that there is something in play when it comes to measuring that, whether or not it actually means anything real about the pickup or the tone or anything like that is debatable, right. but there is, there is certainly some more to it than maybe we, uh, we touched on. And fun tip. Um, if you're ever selling pickups, do do the measurements, even if they're not quote unquote real, yeah. because I've tried selling pickups without measurements and I've tried selling them with, and the ones with where you just write on a piece of paper, 7.6 ohms, right. or those go way faster. So always yeah. do that. <laughs> Dads look for that. Yeah. Uh, it, it couldn't hurt, I guess, to put it on there if it's going to help your sale, but just know that it doesn't really. You know what was interesting? Um, I don't know if this, again, is like a real number or not, but when I measured um, all three pickups on that Paisley Stratocaster, all three single coils measured exactly the same, which I thought was really interesting. That's interesting for sure. I, I would have to wonder... They were all like 7.6 or something. If, if, again, if you're measuring those pickups individually, if you're somehow measuring the, the circuit across, yeah. you know, I don't know. Yeah. But that's, I, that's something I need to spend more time thinking about, I think. So there you go. Speaker says new, new topic. Um, oh, yeah. We spent a lot of time talking shit about Eric Clapton last week, um, which was interesting for me because I then randomly happened to get suggested on YouTube's uh, the final cream show. BBC broadcast. It's because you watched the video that I sent you where they're coming out with the uh, the Telecaster. The Blind Faith Tele? The Blind Faith Tele right. with your brownie so neck. That must be it for sure. Um, so I, I watched it and I've got to say, uh, you know, they ripped Bro, super hard, dude. Cream was in fucking That was incredible, amazing. Dude. Also, Eric Clapton was fucking 23 when Cream broke up. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? That is so crazy. He he was he was a stained glass maker before before the cream. Well, well he got into bands when he was probably like sixteen. Or it was like eighteen ish. Like, yeah. Uh, and then yeah, cream ended by the time he was fucking not even twenty five years old. And then old, he's man. like, oh man, my life is over. Oh man, my life not. is over. Not I'm gonna be the greatest dad tarist that's ever dadded. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, that was interesting. Highly recommend checking that out. Uh, Again, did, what's what's the video called? I don't know what it's called, but okay. it's, it's the the BBC broadcast of the final cream show. Oh, the final uh, cream show at Royal Albert okay. Hall. Perfect. And um, he does in the very beginning show up with that Firebird one. They don't talk about it at all, but he does play it. And is that the one time he performed with it? No, the one that we were talking about was in Philly. Oh, okay. He, he, so he, he was known to have played it live sometimes. But there just wasn't a ton of footage. It was just kind of goofy that yeah. they they've like made this ten thousand dollar guitar or whatever it costs right. based on that. Um, so yeah, Eric Clapton was good. Now I don't really care. Another thing that we talked about last week, Phil Linet, um, just so happened to read an article that Reverb posted like the day, a day or two later about 
his post fender career, which I didn't know anything about. I was looking for that article. I, I googled it and I just oh you I did. Just, I didn't know it was on Reverb. So yeah, it was on Reverb. Uh, he um, oh yeah, I guess I didn't so, include yeah, a link in, in here. What, what? Basically, what it, it and it seems like this happened with a lot of people. There were two things that happened. One, uh, he acknowledges that the he even says himself like how shitty Fender's quality started getting. Sure. So that happened, and then the Japanese boom happened, and they wanted to throw money at artists. So basically, Ibanez and Schechter and these companies just started giving him bases because he was Phil Lynott, and they wanted their name with Thin Lizzy. Um, so yeah, for like the end of his career, he was playing all that Ibanez and Schechter stuff, which they were mostly they mostly just looked like P bases, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but he stopped he stopped playing the Fenders there, which is funny because like '78 was kind of not the best known year for Fender, no. but that's what this signature model that we were just talking Some about. Some people would week. say post-65, you know. Right, exactly. That's the funny part. Um, yeah, well, that that's really interesting. There it is. You do see that part. a lot, though, with, with guitarists and bassists. You know, they're, yeah. they're using these iconic guitars, like these early 60s, whatever, and then all of a sudden you'll see like a video of them in the 80s, and they're definitely not playing that stuff anymore. Oh, dude, uh, comes to mind Ronnie Wood. Yeah, He's had a signature ESP guitar for, yeah, it was ESP, right? I think so. For a long time, I mean, it's a telly, but it's it's a it's a foreign you know remake of a telly. Really, right. when it comes down to it, uh, little sighties updates that also came up last week. So um, as of yesterday, uh, at Monday, the the council met to reassess all these regulations, specifically on the musical instrument industry. And as of yesterday, Wednesday. Um, all rosewood limitations have been lifted. That's really interesting. The uh, according to the NPR article, the site's convention officially adopted the musical instruments exemption. Uh, it will allow finished musical instruments as well as parts and accessories containing rosewood to be transported freely around the world without permits. Uh, great. Yeah. Finally. Um, yeah. So we can bring our Brazilian rosewood. Doesn't matter the, anymore. You can. The Brazilian is. And, and in fact, I, I I will be very curious to see how that impacts prices of instruments with Brazilian because they had gone through the roof and it's still rare because obviously, as we all know, the Amazon is literally on fire right now. I was going to say elephant in the room. It's a, it's a little funny with the timing. I mean, not that we're harvesting the wood anymore. Right. Well, we can't. Right. But the point is like, it's funny that 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 passed at the same time that maybe the rest of it's burning. It's all, it's all going away. The lungs of the earth are on fire right now. I, so to get back to just really quick, Mm -hmm. I didn't realize you know, we talked about it, and even Shelby kind of poo-pooed it. It's not that, that big of a deal. But there's a quote from uh, Frank Untermeyer, who is the supply chain director of Martin. So I guess Taylor and Martin were both at this uh, convention. And he said, quote, the regulation administrative burden on Martin, his company, as well as the impact on the global reach of music cannot be overstated. So this was a really big deal for these makers that I think maybe some of us didn't quite realize was such a thing with CITES. And and it turns out that when you look at it, it was something like 95% of the demand was actually Chinese furniture. It had nothing to do with musical instruments. I was going to say the furnish, furniture industry is way bigger than Specifically the Specifically in China. Industry. For some reason, rosewood furniture in China is booming. And it's wow. that's what was causing all of this these issues and like you know the way that they were harvesting poorly they weren't replanting all that kind of mm-hmm. crap so yeah rosewood it's back baby love me some rosewood fretboards love it I think that's all I've got for the uh, for the old ministry any any other corrections that are on your mind there yeah no I um got to figure out how old Jeff Tweedy is maybe yeah I'm, well let's just say fifty two I'm just 52. gonna live with that over uh, under time for one of my favorite spots of the of the show Dave's Docs. Dave's Docs. What do you got? Welcome to Dave's Docs. Yes, I watched sir. one um, 
I actually watched one last night. Ooh. Um, I don't know if you're a police fan or not. I don't know if we really talked. Like, we talked uh, about staying. Like the fuzz? Yeah, not, not the not the Chicago PD, which we are, we are huge fans of. Big CPD fans. But um, no, the uh, the band The Police, the uh, late 70s, early yes. 80s. I, I am. I, I would say more of the early, uh, before they went to White Boy Reggae thing. Yeah. But, um, that happened pretty much right. I mean, they had the first record. Yeah. So like that started happening in the second record, and, and I'm fine with that stuff. Yeah. But when they went full on whatever, Zenyatta, Regatta, or whatever that, Almondata, whatever, that, mm-hmm. that's when I kind of check out a little so, bit. So uh, the doc's called Can't Stand Losing You. And it's what's interesting, I just started watching it. It's on Amazon if anyone wants to check it out. Um, it's link on the website link on the website it's um it's one of those things where they actually do it through the narration and the point of view through Andy Summers cool okay. the guitar player so yeah. I, I was like okay this is kind of a cool spin it's not just like some you know guy and their friends talking about the, he narrates the whole thing talks about the whole thing makes Sting look like a total asshole really tell me more um yeah I, well I mean they started off you know as like this they started off as like a punk band they're like yeah if we want to do if we want to get famous we're gonna have to be like quote-unquote punk because like you know um you know what are they called the uh, sex pistols were super huge and all that stuff so you know and they were in england so that's like the only thing that was happening you know has, i wonder if anybody's ever used the name the fuck guns Ooh. or like fuck rifles or fuck something ri- like Ooh, that i like fuck rifles yeah me too that's really good yeah if, if it was cool to like put a swear in your band name i think you know i would definitely like dude to i that. well one of my favorite bands is tropical fuckstorm i'm seeing them in a couple weeks Such a good band. uh th- so quick little side thing on band names i'd come up i'd come up with one um i'd re- recently rewatched gangs of new york one of my favorite movies it's it on netflix a, i think it is know. that's why i rewatched yeah. it first of all it's not a remastered version so it kind of looks crappy yeah um also there are things that i still love about the movie but I, there are other things that i don't think ha- have aged quite as well mm-hmm. regardless uh one of the slangs that they use a lot in that movie is referring to caskets as wooden coats and i was like band name right there Wood, holy shit i love coats. that so i looked it up turns out um there was one band called wooden coats that had a facebook page never posted anything on it but they got it in 2017 so i sent them a message i was like yo like I want to use this name. Can I have can I have the page? And then they got back to me yesterday saying we've been working on something and we're going to release it soon. So oh, anyways, okay. don't check out Wooden Coats because um, it's not my band. <laughs> Maybe they're good. They're not any good. I don't, they have nothing on the Internet, so I have oh, no idea. But the, he's, I hate the that. person claims that they are going to be. But they're just I've come up with some good it. band names in the past. And then like you go to their page or like someone will be like, oh, they have it zero followers yep. it'll just they'll have like the instagram oh, yeah they have zero the followers same thing yeah, yeah same deal so that's why i was like oh this shouldn't be a big deal let me just courteously ask and they're like nah and speaking of band names that no one ever came up with the police was you know kind of a it's like one of those so simple you didn't yeah. even think of it type band names which I was kind of cool. a fire department hmm. that's a good the fireman oh that fireman. was a paul mccartney uh side project the fireman yeah which was awesome actually What's the Mike Watt one that I'm thinking of? Fire, oh, Firehose. Firehose. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Sweet. Uh, anyways, great great movie. Um, Can't Stand Losing You about the police. It's kind of their whole history. It also is, is partially uh, spliced in clips of them doing their 2007 reunion tour, um, which is interesting because the, the longer they stayed together, the more they started to hate each other. Mm-hmm. And I mean, to the point where they had three separate limos after shows, taking them to three separate hotels. But wait, so I want to go back to why is Sting a dick? Uh, Sting's a dick because when they kind of started... So it was kind of his band when they started. Uh-huh. Um, Andy Summers had been playing. I didn't know this. He played for the Animals. Yep. He moved to L.A., played in the Animals. Then it was like right when they broke up. Then he stayed in L.A. for a while, just teaching guitar lessons, couldn't get money, met a girl, moved back to Britain. And then it was basically like they're hanging out and he met Sting through some like record label, something or other that he was tracking on, you know, guitar for. 
and uh, Stuart Copeland also was mm-hmm. there. So then they started hanging out, and then he's like, oh, this guy Sting's starting like this punk band. They had a guitar player in that band. They played as a foursome one night, and uh, Andy Summers like, I'll do this band, but I'm not playing with another guitar player. Huh. Like, we have to be a trio. So you guys figure it out. Then they were on this train, or he was on this train, getting off at his stop. Stuart Copeland was also getting off at the stop, and he's like, well, this is serendipitous. Like, we're going to be a band now. Like, we'll kick the guy out. You're in. Mm-hmm. And that was it. And then they, really, it was when they dyed their hair blonde is when people started noticing him because they, st- huh. they were playing around clubs and like nobody gave but a shit. But why is Sting a dick? Sting's a dick because he's, you know, he was basically, he was an instigator and he was very, very hard-lined on like the way he wanted something done mm. to the point where, you know, like, you know, if we're writing a song and I'm like, hey, I think it should go like this and you're like, I think it should go like that and then we kind of talk about it and maybe figure out a compromise, there was no compromise with this guy. He was just, he seemed very difficult to work with. Man, that is so fascinating to me because my knowledge of the police is such that well, first of all, I've read a shitload of Andy Summers interviews. This is, and, and I was going to say, from his perspective. prick. Andy Summers, is, everything I've ever read with him, he comes off like the biggest asshole I've ever seen. Right. And then from every drummer I've ever known, Stuart Copeland is supposed to be known as the biggest asshole in music, basically. He is too. So they're all, they're all fucking assholes. Wow. But this was a documentary from Andy Summers. Is kind of like he produced it. Yeah. And he was like, so I'm sure it's biased. Obviously, it makes him look like the nicest yeah. guy. Um, the other, so yeah, basically the three of them couldn't stand working together. Yeah. They just all fucking hate each other. And there's like, there's an MTV interview they're doing in 83, like right before they broke up. They can't even like be at the same table together. <laughs> and they end up getting in a fight. Like, I think Sting like throws a beer at Stuart Copeland's head and he throws, a, he like jumps up to kick his ass and knocks the table over. Damn, like, dude. it's this whole like almost I'm fight breaks out. Really, really good. And I would also say as a bonus, if you enjoy photography, I didn't know Andy Summers was a photographer. Mm-hmm. And it kind of goes into that, which is also like kind of like a self, you know, of course, type thing. But like, it's kind of cool. He did take some really cool photos for like three years from 80 to 83. There's a all the um, tours and all there's the a record that he did with Robert Fripp. Okay. I can't remember what it's called right now. It's just like Summers and Fripp. And, and it's and it's a really good list. And I highly recommend checking out. But I'm also pretty sure that I knew Andy Summers did photography because he did the photos for that mm, record. Yeah. Yeah. And like at the end of the movie, he has like a, his own art gallery and they all come to it. It's kind of like, yeah, OK, I get it. Um, um, we were talking about his telly. Side note, earlier. yeah, I wanted to get into the gear a little bit because yeah. there's fucking amazing gear in that in that movie. Sweet. Um, obviously, Sting's collection of Fenders oh, is, yeah. you know, notable. Um, he plays a jazz bass for most of it, and he also has a like late seventies. Plays fr- a jazz bass, really? Yeah, he's got like an early six, like just like a sixty-two or a sixty-three. Okay. Really, really cool jazz bass. Um, it's all stripped. It's just like wood finish. Yeah. And then I think he was playing that like a little later, like maybe second or third album. Um, for the early stuff though, he was playing this, like he had a, it was a seventies, like a late seventies P bass, like a natural one. And then later it shows him with a fretless, like the same model, but fretless. weird. So he was playing like live. He would just go out on stage with a fretless bass. When did he go to the telly bass? That was like a little later actually. Okay. Cause that's so, how I, that, like in my head, I picture sting. I see that yep. beat up old, what is 53? Yeah. It's like a 53 cause it's got the contour. And then they show a lot of footage from the 2007 tour and he's playing that yeah. and it's just thrash. So I, I was actually one of that myself. Like when did that come into yeah. play? Because it doesn't show it a whole lot wow. in the movie as when they're younger. And he also played one of those uh, Steinberger, like... Oh, the headless? The headless. Ugh. That was, like, right before they broke up. That thing... Ugh, God. Dude, I gotta be honest. I've kind of always wanted one for, I guess, curiosity reasons. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they, you know they don't look like guitars. You know what's weird about it, man? I played one once. Uh, it was a copy. It was, like, a court or something. Okay. But I played... It was the same model, like, same look. And the ghost headstock really threw me off. Yeah. Dude. Not having a headstock... Because you're just playing this neck, and then it just ends on the after yep. the first fret, and you're like, "Where?" It just doesn't feel. You feel like your arm should be closer to your body. It's just a very, very weird, 
weird, strange. weird guitar. Now I definitely want to see one. You got to like at least know, sit down honestly, and play one. I've I've tried to play every guitar I could, and I don't know if I've ever played one of those. Did they ever make a guitar version of that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I I think that might have been first. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, and and those tuners, I mean the Steinberger whatever gearless ratio whatever tuners mm-hmm. those are still popular people still like those because yeah. it's a good design but yeah the whole the whole headstock thing yeah. it became popular again with uh like seven string uh you know uh, extended scale yeah. multi-scale guitars that's, that's right. a popular thing again so uh notably though the the guitar in there is his um you know they never say what year it is but it's a telecaster the andy summers double binding yep. sunburst right white pick guard it's got a humbucker mini humbucker i think actually in it okay um, but he's got, I didn't know this until I watched a video on it. It's got a, a freaking third knob that's underneath the plate. Mm-hmm. So like very towards the bottom of the guitar. That's an overdrive knob. Well, boost. It's just like, yeah, he can just crank it up and go crazy. So that became such a popular thing in like the seventies and eighties. I wonder, I wonder why that, that kind of died out. I mean, there are still some guitarists that do that. I wonder if it was just like a, a janky circuit. Like maybe it's just easier. You can get a better Dude, tone with a my, my Gretsch, that guitar. That's right was the first guitar to ever be technically active because it had a built-in boost circuit, which was disgustingly horrible and everybody bypassed it. Right. But that, I mean, in, what is that, a 65, 66 or something like yeah, that? Maybe, no, 67. Is it? Uh, okay. the, in 1967, they were like, that from the factory guitars yeah. were coming with that shit. So it, it happened a long time ago. I just, that doesn't, it's not as big of a thing anymore. So I didn't know, like, because I was trying to think about the, the double-bound Telecasters. I know in 62 they did that run. Yeah. They're like, Super valuable, like insanely hard to find. But his has a the neck on his had a skunk stripe on the back, which means it's probably actually like a mid to late seventies neck. I don't it know. Could have been a later or, neck, or a fifties yeah. neck on there. Actually, that's the funny thing about those old guitars too. It's like we, you know, we. I mean, we talked about this ad nauseum last week, but we fetish fetishize these certain years and all mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. But like, they didn't care back then. They no just way. were like, oh, I, I just need, I need a new neck for this guitar it wasn't like some collector piece or yeah, something he talked like that about that, that guitar and he was like some friend gave it to me in like 72 and he was yeah. like try this thing out and he played it and he liked it and then that's what he just that bought it, it from him or took it from him and then he just started putting goddamn chorus yeah. on everything yeah i know so anyways really good doc uh can't stand losing you about the police I, sweet I dude solid dave's docs nice little segue into riff library uh if you want to grab that book right yeah. there that's the one i want to talk about it is called the fender telecaster uh, let me see the sub headline because I don't remember the whole thing. The Fender Telecaster, the detailed story of America's senior solid body electric guitar by AR. I don't know how to say that, but I'm going to say Duchoisal. So it's just know. the history of the tele? It is the most comprehensive history of all things Telecaster that I have personally come across. It only goes up until maybe like the mid to late 2000s, um, which I mean, we don't really care that much about that generally speaking anyways but i have learned everything i know about telecasters from that book uh i mean the detail oh, the is 49 mind prototype. numbing it goes down oh yeah dude I, i've read that thing cover to cover a couple times it goes the whole history it gets into the history of fender in the beginning of course uh all, i mean it literally has all the schematics it has the patents it has Every detail from every year that you'd ever want to know in dating a telly and figuring out the value, which parts came from what. That book is actually why I bought my telly, uh, which is an 84, because that was how I learned about like after. So obviously Fender was sold to CBS in 1965. They were then bought back uh, by the employees essentially in 1985. Well, the sale, all this stuff was starting to go, go start to happen around 1983. And that's when they completely revamped their everything that they were doing. And so there's this really 
small period of time in the 80s where Fender was actually known to be putting out some pretty decent stuff. Anyways, that's why I got my telly. Uh, interestingly, also, my um, my telly, the 84, uh, was one of the only years they – it has a very flat radius. It's a 12-inch radius on that guitar. Oh, wow. Which, like, Fender almost never does. And that's I think crazy. it turns out that's part of the reason why I love that neck so much because it's just so fast. Um, but, man, you if there is anything you ever want to know about tellies, you you pick up that book and you will be able to find it. This is great. Yeah, they have the double binding in here. Like there it is. And then and towards the back, I mean, anything uh, when it comes to wiring diagrams, serial numbers, dating, oh, plates, date. the headstocks, all the the uh, bridges, every, every change that ever happened is detailed in that book. So this is, if you um, want to know about tellies that I would highly, highly recommend. This is it. great. And I love how it's just like a bigger profile. It's not like a thick book that you have to like read through. Like you can, yeah. you can flip through it if you just need some information. I have a base book just like this called, uh, the fender base yeah. and it's the whole history, but I used it to date, uh, the 62 when I first bought Dude, it. Bring that by. I want to read it. I will. It, but I think it might even be by the same guys. It could it, be. It looks identical to the way like it lays Published out by Hal Leonard. Uh, yeah. it's the same. Yeah. It's just like the same format as it's that. Got all, like, um, the, what to look for in the knobs. That, that, the, the book actually that I talked about last week, uh, the basically that like guitar book, uh, repair book, same, same sort of idea. Like, yeah, if that was a small novel size book, it would probably be a couple hundred pages, but because it's yeah. big oversized pages, Lots of photos. it feels, feels pretty digestible. So cool. Awesome. Man. So, that's my uh, that's my riff library for this week. Uh, Fender Telecaster. I'll get it up on GearHunks.com uh, probably in the next couple of days. Um, this is a this is a little bit of a change for us uh, in the Band Buds Pod Pals segment. Uh, normally, uh, it's someone that we actually know or um, you know have interacted with, but this time. We just both felt that we needed to discuss this guy because it's amazing. It's very rarely when someone sends me a 25-minute video that I watch the entire thing. Yeah. And I was glued to my seat. So so the video that he's referencing is uh, one that I sent him uh, by... It's a YouTube channel called Crime Pays But Botany Don't. Uh, <laughs> this guy is from Chicago, and um, it's just videos of him walking around different state parks or areas of chicago or the, the video that i sent you was him down he's in, in texas. texas yeah um just like talking about everything he sees which first of all let me say he's an absolute botany expert right expert. and i don't like really give a shit about botany that mm. much like i i have a tomato plant that's cool but like i don't you know i don't watch any other botany channels but this guy has the best thickest chicago accent right you've ever heard in your entire life and then he's extremely intelligent and he's super intelligent it's so funny to hear like so he, yeah, he speaks like somebody. I mean, he's definitely got prison tattoos on his hands and on stuff. So he definitely speaks like a, a gangster. But also, then we'll throw out all the Latin names of every yep. single plant all he the sees genus and everything. And then, so in the Texas video that I sent you, he was it was specifically he was out looking for um, peyote so and different yeah. cat, yeah, different basically Cacti. hallucinogenic type plants. He's not taking them himself mm -mm. himself, but he's there was a the one he was talking about, and he's like. Hey, that there takes two years to grow. If I catch any of you guys out here trying to eat these, I'll come kill you. I'll kick your ass myself. Kick you in the dick. Kick you in the dick myself. <laughs> Talks about, hey, ain't nothing better than that. It's like a pile of jardinera on a deep dish pie. Yeah, that yeah. Kind of shit. Highly, highly, I can't recommend enough how everybody should go listen and watch to Crime Pays, but Botany Don't on so YouTube. So good. So that's our, uh, that's our Band Buds, Pod Pals, uh, awesome. YouTube, uh, YouTube. I, I can't come up with a good alliteration for the letter Y, but something YouTube, YouTube Yinzer, Yinzer. I think that's what they call mm. people from Pittsburgh. That's not that. Good. Yeah, that's he's from Chicago. He's from Chicago. So, anyways, <laughs> uh, that wraps up those segments. Uh, it's time for a little uh, news and gear stuff. Awesome. A couple things that I noticed. I just want to get out there that I was pretty excited about. Um, have you seen any of the Behringer 
synth clones that they've been doing. Mm-mm. So obviously, we all know for a long time, Behringer has had a pretty shitty reputation. Yeah. They are strictly Chinese knockoffs of other famous American products and sometimes Japanese products. Um, but recently, they've really stepped up their quality in a lot of ways and are able to maintain those prices a lot lower than anybody else because they essentially own their own city in China now. Like That's oh, wow. not an exaggeration where everything is manufactured there in-house. Well, so recently, they've been, over the past year or so, waiting for different synth designs, the uh, patents to expire. And now that they are, they're just reissuing them almost like circuit for circuit. Uh, so they've already done the Behringer, they, or uh, the Behringer, they've already done the Moog um, Model D. They're, you know, the, the they're famous, most probably most famous synthesizer. They've done a Sequential Circuits Pro 1. Now they just surprise announced the one that I'm most excited about. Uh, it's a version of the Korg MS-20. Which is a synth that, you know, synth heads love and adore to this day. They're expensive. Korg has done a couple of reissues that are mm, sort of questionable. Um, but, you know, you're talking about at least two grand to get an old one, probably a lot more than that. Um, but now you can get this this Behringer one, which is now shipping. And I haven't actually found a good demo of it yet, which I believe they call the K20. Okay. For like, it's going to be like 300 bucks or 400 bucks or really? something like that. So um, I am definitely going to be getting at least the, the Model D, but probably probably the ms20 as well because it's just i can't afford an old moog four thousand dollar synth sure. or or a three thousand dollar korg i can get both of those for less than you know say six or seven hours. and you've seen some demos you're pretty happy with. oh i know i know a lot of people who have the model d actually and they all swear by it i mean wow. it's universally loved um the only i guess the only issue is that they're a bit smaller so they're they're all rack synths they're not like they don't have the full oh, okay. and everything which is which is yeah my that preference. works for you right uh the knobs are maybe a little bit smaller because they have to fit into that you know 19 inch wide rack space size mm-hmm. um but other than that man they sound freaking great that's so all that matters pretty excited about that oh, great shout out to behringer shout out to behringer uh never thought i'd say that on ex- this podcast dude, exactly uh another thing i came across a, a company called metal dozer is making something now called the mod stand, which usually when I see stuff like this, I'm like, oh God, solving a problem that doesn't exist. But this one oh, is actually pretty cool. I watched this, man. This is. Did cool. you see it? Yeah, I checked it so out. So the it, basically what it is is uh, like say you say you're a singer that also has a pedal board on stage, like most singers. Like most singers, it, it's really annoying actually, and it's it's a real problem I've had is where do you put the mic stand around the pedal board I so you can this. still access it all every all night of practice. Basically, I'm- what the metal dozer mod stand does is it allows you to clamp your stand onto a slat on your pedal board. So it sits right in the middle of your board, doesn't take up that much space, but then is right exactly where you want your stand to be. Yeah, I I would have to try it. Like it's yeah. really cool. Cause I'm so used to I do a boom stand to the to the left yep, of the pedal board. Same. Um, but really when you first get a pedal board, I like, you know, I don't play with pedals that often. I was like, where the hell do I put this yep. thing? Well and the other thing is it it on average, according to their press release, uh frees up four square feet of stage or floor that space. That makes sense. So you think about that, like maybe you've got a round stand, even if it's a tripod, that's still going to be taking up extra space on the stage. It could get knocked over. Now, if you've got a pedal board and the mic stand attached to it, that's just not getting knocked over. Right. Like, I don't know about you, but like my pedal board is not going to get tipped over. I don't care how, how hard. I, yeah. Like I would have to literally push, like push. hang on the mic stand. Yeah. So it seems like it solves a couple real problems. Um, I'm pretty curious to try one out. And I'm, I'm guessing they're pretty universal. Like you could unscrew like the bottom of most stands. I and, think so. I don't know. If, it's really just the clip. Isn't I don't know if that latch like one would this because would be that's so big. heavy duty and thick. But, but I mean, most like pro I line stands. I, I would, I would have to imagine. I'll have to double check that. But honestly, I'm thinking about just buying one and trying it. The only problem is that 
I don't have my pedal board that I use right now doesn't have slats. See, I don't either. So that's really that's really the thing. I don't know if I would trust the Velcro for mm-hmm. something like that. But no, no, that's what if I'm you're saying. using any kind of like pedal train or temple board or any of the most popular ones, yeah. it's gonna fit with it. So metal I thought builder. that was a really cool invention. Yeah, you know, me it's, too. it's nice to see uh, just in general people still coming up with new ideas and like you know ways to make things better. It's such a simple idea that could have existed 20 years ago. Yeah, but absolutely. Someone came out. And I've it. seen I've seen some custom solutions because I watch every rig rundown that's ever existed on premierguitar.com and some people have had basically like custom boards built where it already has a stand built into it, but this is, you know, plug and play with the stuff you've already got. And so cool. most of us can't afford to hire, you know, some amp works or some company to basically build us. Do you know what racks. do you know what they retail for? I don't have it written down, but I, I looked much, and right? I would, I think it was like 20 bucks. Or I was going to say, like if that, it's like it 20, cheap. 25 bucks. Um, so yeah, if you're listening, metal dozer, hit us up. If not, I maybe I'll just buy one anyways. Uh, this was, um, excuse me, something I've complained about in the past. I was so excited to figure this out. So, uh, right here, right next to me is my eye connectivity myo 10. It's a MIDI interface that I use the best on the market in my, in many others opinion. However, the software front end interface for it, can best be described as a nightmare. Uh, I, I think I might have showed it to you before, but it's it feels worse than hand coding. It, mm. It's just these weird matrices, super ugly, whatever. And so I was having some issues with it, and I was like, God damn it. I'm just going to go to the iConnectivity website and see if anybody else has been like having these same problems, whatever. Uh, it turns out that that software that I've been using is way out of date and they they stopped like they stopped supporting it months ago and they now have a new piece of software called Oracle spelled like uh, a u Oracle and let me tell you it is a goddamn delight it, now this now before I used to recommend that hardware that this piece of this rack MIDI interface with a caveat but like prepare like setting it up on the software is going to suck now I can fully say this is the best MIDI inter- interface that's ever existed the hardware and software are bulletproof go use it immediately. It's literally just checking boxes, exactly what you want it to be. Like, I want this to go there. You just check a box and it does it. Wow. It's so nice. Oh, it's great. Thank you, iConnectivity. Really happy to have that uh, software update. Innovating. Uh, that's all I've got on the sort of not um, not stuff we got news, but uh, we got some stuff this week. Got some stuff. Some gears. Yeah. And I want to talk about Davy Boy got a new bass. It came. It came, Bruddy. 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 It came, Bruddy, bro. We're Bruddies. Uh, yeah, I got a new bass. Tell us, I want to hear I'm everything excited. about this bass. I'm excited. Well, I haven't bought new gear in a while. If you guys have kept up with the cast, I haven't really talked about it much. Um, but I wanted a good backup bass, which I talked about a few weeks ago, and ended up uh, getting a Memphis Precision Bass, which is basically a copy of a mid to late 70s Fender P bass and it's maple uh, maple fretboard. Do you know Do you know what year this Memphis is? I don't know how to actually pinpoint yeah. it, but I believe it's like between a seventy five and a seventy seven. So, is eight. there any information out there about you know? Man, I don't know. I, I haven't popped like the neck. There might be. A, there's no serial numbers on it. it just says yeah. made in Japan on the back. There might be a serial number on the neck. The pots don't look like they have any codes on them. Um, anyways, it flat out blew me away, man. So mm. I got this thing for under two hundred dollars shipped. <sighs> Which is like, if you know, I mean, you know, I could have gone like a, a used Squire or something like that, but I just, I wanted something a little more unique, something with a little more weight to it. Um, and this did not disappoint. And, and speaking of weight, it's actually pretty lightweight. It's so light, It's got to be like nine pounds. I don't think it's, I mean, it really, I, I was expecting this 13 pound slugger to come. And when I got the box, I got it out of the box and I'm like, okay, this thing's wrapped in bubble wrap, bubble wrap and it's like 
not even which by the way i mean i think that shipping the pictures that you showed me i think the packing materials were as as heavy as the base itself that's insane well how long did it take you to even get it out of the plastic it took like a solid half an hour. <laughs> like I, I had a, I literally had to get like a, a long razor blade, like yeah. one of those ones that that retracts, totally. and like try to like saw through it because my scissors weren't doing it. <laughs> I mean, it was he wrapped it in at least a hundred dollars worth of bubble wrap. <laughs> I uh, hope he saved this it. poor guy. Uh, I saved, yeah, I saved some of it. Yeah. Like he also put those big air pillows in yeah, there totally. too. I saved those also. Yeah, I saved those. I, I have the box, but like, it's one of those things, man. Where I'm just like, this guy probably spent more on shipping than he did to like you know, than the thing's actually worth. Um, but that being said, I, I took off the old strings. I threw some... Uh, oh, dude, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I just want I just want to get out there. Yeah. I think it's so funny how much you hate round strings. Well, I don't hate them. I don't, don't get me wrong. I'm creating the narrative that Dave hates round I, rounds. I actually, this is the second time in my life that I'm back to flats. Oh, really? Two thousand About 2006 or seven, I got into flat wands. I had them on my Getty Lee Jazz Bass. Okay. And uh, I loved how they sound. And then, he doesn't play flats, does he? No, I think he plays like a steel round one. Okay, yeah. Like actually like steel ones. Right. Like so they're even brighter. Yeah. Um I think he has a signature model um through Rotosound. Okay. But anyways, uh yeah, I had some I had some like actually they're half they're half wounds technically. The, the ones on the Memphis? Yeah, okay. those are half. So there's they're supposed to be a little brighter than, you know, your your hardcore flat wounds. Um but I had to get the old strings off. It was nasty. I mean, even the picture, the guy had the E string like strung the wrong way. Ugh. And he had them clipped so short that they were barely going around like one time. Yeah. I was like, it's got to go. So I, I had those strings, luckily. I threw those on. I cleaned it up. I did the intonation this morning. It. I brought it to practice the other night, just like pretty much as is. I hadn't even set it up. Mm-hmm. And I'm blown away by this thing, dude. dude For the I, price? I, I have to agree with you. I, I was expecting when you got this just to be like, oh, yeah, that's fine, whatever. Yeah. But I got my hands on it today. You brought it over, and I spent a little time with it. And, man, that bass feels great. It feels really good. It's got It's got a weird like jazz you know nut profile but then it's got a like a much wider flatter down by like the 10th fret yep. profile which is very weird like fender didn't really do much Mm-mm. stuff like that they're pretty straight all the way down um i, I don't know i love it I, i'm t- you know i've got a show coming up in september and i'm kind of like do i bring this thing you know do i bring it i don't know i mean i, I brought it to practice it still needs to set up the uh, the d strings a little quieter yeah. so i got to kind of figure out why that's happening specifically on that string and the g string too so i think i just got to raise that whole pickup up a little bit but for the most part, man, I've never been so satisfied with a cheap purchase in my entire life. So it's is it a keeper? Do you think it's going to stick around? Yeah, I'll keep it for a while. Yeah, yeah I'm not planning on just like flipping it. Um, I bought it specifically to have a backup base or something that if I want to like if I'm going out of town for a gig, like I did that gig in the suburbs a few weeks ago. You know, I I didn't want to bring both. You know, of my valuable guitars. Yep. You know, bring bring one nice one and then one cheap one. You know, if you just gotta you know pull it out or whatever. So really happy with the Memphis. Um, it's it's the lawsuit era Japanese stuff the Matsumoku factory mm-hmm. and uh yeah it's a score man and I, I would say if you're looking to buy one yourself look for like the really early ones it i mean even the, the tuners are like the full clover style tuners mm-hmm. um with the long stems on them the bridge is like identical to anything fenders ever come out with so you know if you can find ones that almost you know to your eye looks identical to a fender those are the really really early ones before they had to start changing stuff i've seen some 90s memphis stuff and it's like it's whack, dude. I, so. You know, and that's the thing is that that's the stuff that I had ever seen. So I, I didn't even know that they were like a lawsuit company. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because at that, by the time I'd seen Memphis, it was just like, oh, this is just like some budget brand, whatever. But I didn't realize that like Takai or on a lot well, of those brands. Right. So they became a, a budget. Yeah. yeah. But they're up there with Takai. I want to say, I thought I read somewhere that Yamaha like owned Memphis or something. Oh, okay. So they're part of that whole thing. But essentially these things were all pretty much out of the same like two factories in Japan. So yeah. Um, 
I freaking love it, dude. And like the tone's awesome. I mean, I don't even think I need to replace the pickups unless that one pickup is like dying on me or something like I that. I probably wouldn't. I, if it was mine, I would just take the, I would just take the lacquer off the neck. Yeah, lacquer off the neck. I might check out the tuners because they're slipping a little bit, but that yeah. could just be because it hasn't been played. Yeah. You know, there's obviously I've, I've had guitars that once you play them for like a few weeks, they're just back to they they're back to playing in. shape. Absolutely. So, so yeah, I'm super happy with it, man. Dude, I'm super stoked for you. That Thanks, bass man. rolls. I would be over the moon if that was mine. Very so cool. I'm pretty uh, pretty jealous. Want to buy it? Um, not for how much you'd want to sell it for. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I, I, I too have been, been doing a little bit of, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of always having gear coming in and out, but I got some new pedals. Yeah, baby. Um, you know, one's just a TS9 tube screamer. But you had a nice little, I mean, I won't interrupt you, but oh, a nice fine. little trade deal going on, right? Oh yeah, dude. I mean, that's the thing is I have so much gear right now that I, I'm trying not to put any new money into stuff, but I'm all about actively trading. So yeah, I think I traded, I had a... I had a, a turntable that I got for free years ago that I'm not I wasn't using and um what else did I get? Oh yeah, I also I had a looper that I traded at that guitar sh- uh, the Fort Knox guitar show that I wasn't using. Um so I traded those two for a data corruptor by Earthquaker Devices and an Ibanez Tube Screamer TS9. The TS9, you know whatever, everybody's got a Tube Screamer. I've never actually owned a TS9. I've had an 808. I've had a couple 808s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, you know, I played it. It sounds fine. I think what I'm going to do is I just, the reason I was, I was even okay with getting that in the trade is I want to mod it. So I've been looking at different kinds of mods that people are doing. Um, I might just, honestly, I might just do the true bypass foot switch and then uh, mod it to an 808 spec, which is super easy to do, but we'll see. Um, and that, but the, the, the winner for sure is the Earthquaker devices data corruptor because that thing is nuts. It's, It's the craziest thing I've ever heard. It's, it's essentially of synth fuzz. So it has, I don't, I would imagine one of, uh, similar to something else Earthquaker makes. I'm, I'm not familiar enough with all their fuzzes to know which one, but it basically has one of their fuzzes built in that you can use, you know, dial in with just one knob. But then it also has a main oscillator and a subharmonic oscillator where you can tune those to different uh, intervals. It can either be unison with the original note. It can be in fifths, thirds. There's a bunch of different stuff you can do. There's a lot of different um, gate, or not, I'm sorry, not gate, um, glide options. So like how quickly it leaves the note after you play it. So it does the kind yeah. of thing. It add, you can do like really crazy sounding, almost like vocoder sounds where it sounds like Daft Punk, like around yeah. the world, around the world. Could you run kind of like, like uh, could you run like a vocal through it? Or oh yeah, like absolutely. That? You yeah. could for sure. I mean, I don't know how good or clean that's going to sound, but it would be fun, be fun. for sure. Yeah. Um, man. So yeah, I haven't, I haven't gotten a new, like super weird pedal like that in a long time. I've, I feel like most of the stuff I've gotten recently has been a little bit more utilitarian. Sure. Um, so that's been super fun and kind of inspirational. And I, uh, a couple days ago took that opportunity to wire up a stereo baritone board, which frankly, it could be anything going into it. I was just playing my baritone. And I thought it would sound cool. So I've got now a wet dry setup going in the old JC one twenty. I'm glad the baritone's getting some action. Yeah, me too. It's uh, you know because I've I've been on doing this thing where and actually this kind of came out of the Shelby talks too where I'm just like trying to gauge like why do I have twenty three guitars? Am I actually <laughs> using all of them? Or, so I, I I've been like kind of trying to pick each one up and then decide whether or not I want to keep it. Unfortunately, I've decided to keep everyone that I've picked up, so I'm stuck with twenty three guitars right now. But um, that was kind of what what bore that out. I I'm still not convinced that I'm going to stick with that baritone. To be honest with you, it's it's a great guitar, and <clears throat> that was another one where I got a sick deal. But if I can turn 
my jazz master and that guitar and maybe my seven string into something else, I definitely would. And that's, so that's, that's probably something that'll maybe happen in the future, you know? Well, the pedal helps out, you know, cause you can kind of just start coming up with new ideas and new ways to use some of that gear. Yeah. And we'll see. I mean, I pedals are something that very rarely with a few exceptions, do I feel so precious about that? I would never sell. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the, the data corruptor may stay, it may go. I'm not quite sure yet. It's a fun thing to have around. I could see it being really cool. Uh, if you're say like, writing or or working on a session with another band and, and they want something like kind of crazy and off the wall to, yeah to, kind of for inspiration style. or like to layer in it would sound really cool as like a blend with, a, with like a full bass signal um it'll be cool for that so yeah i'm pretty pretty stoked with that deal yeah that thing is really uh and i mean again like when you trade gear up like that it's almost like just getting free gear you know it really feels like that i feel that way about anything that i bought in the past even if it was like for instance when I was real into gaming for a long time there and I still love video games, but like I was buying, I was pre-ordering all the crazy new stuff. That's like super, there's like this limited run games, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, it's awesome because I'll, I'll pre-order a game and then I'll forget about it for six months and then it comes and it's like, Oh, free game. Yeah. Or like I bought tickets <laughs> to a show and it's like not for a few months. Oh, free show. Yeah. So it's the same deal. Yeah. Same deal paid for gear. these so long ago. I forgot about it. Just, it. It's like a sunk cost. So now I can turn it into something yeah, else. It's the same thing deal. as like, I mean, you could have just taken that money and gone out to dinner and then you never see it and again. And then you anyways, never see so. it again. Yeah. That's been the main thing is even though I've been flipping, buying, selling a lot of stuff, I have been trying to make sure that I keep all of that money because I sell non-music stuff too. Right. And that stuff just goes in my bank account. I use it to pay bills, whatever. That's fine. But like the, the gear stuff, I very mindfully try to keep all of that money in a pool for more gear stuff you know so it's like all right i I have a running tally i know how much i've sold recently i know how much i've traded i know i've got x amount of money that i if i wanted to buy a thing which i actually just placed a big order for a bunch of like super boring uh like tools and guitar fixing type stuff Mm -hmm. which is it's gonna be like and actually it might come today but it's gonna be the most boring box ever because i spent like a few hundred bucks or whatever it's not gonna be like quite like christmas no and it's like oh cool a neck cradle yeah or or, or, a a wrench (laughs) a a spanner yeah exactly i did order some some more fret files do love a good fret um so yeah that's that's kind of how i've been approaching that right now but i'm i'm i've been i've been pretty happy with the gear lately yeah i've been feeling good about it i think it's a good spot to be in i mean we are the gear hunks but it's also good to be content with what you have and like you know, I, that's why I haven't bought something in so long. I've been so happy with the, my my collection, where it was kind of it's kind of fun to get back out there on the horse and be like, okay, here's my budget, here's what I want. You know, let's see what we can do. Dude, you know? it's super fun. Yeah, and then it gets you it gets you thinking. It's like, well, do I really need to have all those amps right there? Like, maybe I could just like use two of them and then turn the rest into something else that I really will use. I was noticing. Uh, we keep talking about the shelves this week, but uh, he was just here. He was he's been on this big kick uh, on Instagram talking about tone loans. Like uh, get a loan, get it for your tone sort of thing, oh, and, it's, yeah. and it's the same deal. It's like you know, uh, maybe turn some other stuff into into the the guitar of your dreams. Like take four things that aren't really inspiring you, and and turn those into one thing that will, and that, and then take out. Maybe you need to still need to take out a tone loan. Uh, f- you know, fifty easy payments of seven dollars yeah. or whatever, <laughs> and then there you go. So uh, it. All right. there it is. We got a couple more things. Yeah, man. Um, I don't know how deep we need to get into this this sort of stuff necessarily, but I've been thinking about this. Well, so. Um, First of all, happy belated birthday. Oh, thank you, man. I know, thank I, you I know, for the post. You know, we, uh, sweet. we did all that already, but I just want to say it again. And I was thinking about it because mine's... Someone's tom- got a birthday my coming My birthday's up. tomorrow. Yeah. And um, so I've been... Part of that is just anybody getting older, like you start thinking about things a little bit differently. And that led me down this path. And we were talking about this too, where I was kind of thinking about old bands that I'd been in. And I'm having this sort of like 
I don't know, two fifth life crisis right now. <laughs> and so anyways, I used to be in this, in this psychedelic metal band. I was like, man, why didn't we ever finish that record? Blah, blah, blah. That's not really what I want to talk about so much. Although we, we the plan is to try to finish it and maybe we'll make you join us. Dude, but also, I want to, I mean, that, that was some of the coolest music I've listened to. Um, so we'll, we'll talk more about that yeah. in the future once there's more to talk about. However, it got me thinking about why are we like, why do we do this? What defines success in my mind or your mind when it comes to this whole music thing that we're doing? Mm -hmm. So, again, don't really have an answer specifically on this one, but it's just something I kind of want to get into a little bit. Sure. I did read an article. So I've mentioned before um, there's this uh, site aggregator blog called Hypebot that I like a lot that just aggregates really interesting. And there is original content, too, but it mostly just uh, gathers really um, relevant, interesting content for music makers about things around the music business so i was reading about um i was reading an article about that kind of like what success means on this it's called musicthinktank.com one of the things that i learned and maybe this could be a good jumping off point every day there are forty thousand new tracks uploaded to spotify wow which is double the twenty thousand a day it was a year ago so right now there is more new music being put out into the world by far than ever in the than world. ever before. So it's like, what what is the measure of success for you in yeah. music? What are you, like? What is it? Is it being one of those forty thousand songs getting uploaded? Like, is it getting plays? Like, what are the things that drive you personally in this music making I'm, quest? Yeah, I mean, it, well, obviously it's fun first and foremost, okay. right? Um, it, it's the excitement of creating something. I think new um if if people like it you know i didn't always think this way but if people like it and they listen to it it's kind of a bonus i mean it's obvious it's it's even a bigger bonus if you can actually make money from it Mm -hmm. you know um but then it also comes into that thing too where it could get stale it could become a job it could be not as fun anymore so the 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 most fun thing is is creating that and coming up with that idea it's hard to explain I, i i think they even talked about it on the um on the movie last night where they're like coming up with a new song or like a new riff. That's like a shot of heroin. You yeah, know what I mean? Exactly. Like it's, and that's what it keeps you coming back too. you know? Yep. And it, and so that's it for me. I mean, obviously it'd be great to, you know, make millions of dollars mm-hmm. playing music and doing all this, but you know, at, uh, at now at 37 years old, you know, I'm not like, Oh, we're going to, you know, go play the beat kitchen and, and make all these fans and do mm-hmm. all this stuff. It's about, you know, creating, uploading content, showing it to your friends and your family and your loved ones and whoever wants to listen to it, that's great, you know. And then, so that's it for me. I mean, that, yeah. that, that, it's honestly, I've, I've been reflecting on it too, and I and I think I I agree with everything you said. I I've landed in a fairly similar spot. You know, you can think about like like you said, getting fans, or right now the big thing with everyone is getting your song added to a Spotify playlist. Sure. That's kind of like that's huge. That's like the goal right now. But then you look at the numbers. Oh man, I don't know if I wrote any of them down, but it's basically something like if you wanted to make minimum wage, which is uh, about fifteen hundred bucks a month in the United States, it's something you need. And I, I looked at a chart, and it had all the different major streaming platforms: YouTube, Spotify, Pandora, etc. And I know at the t- at the high end, you need it was something like two point one million plays a month on YouTube to make minimum wage. on YouTube on YouTube, which is the lowest because yeah. you know it's. It's all free. But I've heard heard Spotify is even crazier, right? You know, when you look at the list, Spotify is kind of towards the middle. Uh, Oh, okay. Because I thought they did something like they take like, they'll give you like 0.00000000. Okay. So YouTube is is in the 10,000ths of a percentage. Uh, 
Spotify is in the one thousandth okay. of a percentage of, of a cent, you know. So I think I want to say it was like seven thousandths of a cent per stream on Spotify, whereas it was like seven ten thousandths or something like that. So on seven thousand plays would get you one cent. Correct. Okay. Um, which I mean, I've I've never had seven thousand plays, so I wouldn't. Know. I mean, I don't think I don't know if I have. They I'm can't really sure send you a check for like point seven thousand. Well, and so percent. like I'm I'm a member of ASCAP, and I yeah. have made money through music yeah. licensing in the past, and I've learned that um, they actually there's a minimum. I think it's fifty dollars you have to make before they'll cut you a check. Yeah. yeah. So like I've know. gotten it once. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It was like sixty eight dollars or something. Yeah. But yeah. So um, that's well, th- that. And that goes that goes back to kind of what we were saying though. So. Say you do get seven thousand plays and you only get a cent, but seven thousand plays is worth more than, I mean, to me, seven thousand plays would feel that, great. That's what I'm saying. Like yeah. that's worth more than like getting like a, a lot of money. You know, if you really had seven thousand plays on a song, I mean, that's fantastic. Absolutely, yeah. So it's this like success. If, if if that in your mind, if that feels like success, that's great. But I, I think oh, yeah. the the only main thing that I've really come to through all this is that if you're going to be doing this music thing or being a creative person, being an artist, whatever it is, I think when we're younger, we just do it because we have to, like we feel driven and motivated. Like this is, I don't have a choice. I have to get this shit out there. As we get older, I think it's important to be, I know it's important to be more thoughtful and mindful about what these measures of success are. Right. So otherwise if you, if not, because almost nobody, when it comes down to it on scale, is actually making money from this. So it's like you're saying you can't be like delusional. That. You can't be delusional, but you also on the sort of flip of that, it's very easy to burn out. And I've experienced this if you don't recognize the the other positives that aren't making a living wage yes. from music. So yes. it's this idea, like you're saying, the that endorphin shot of of creating a new riff that feels amazing, even if it's like, in your living room, even if it's in your living room, yeah. the joy of writing a new song that your bandmates respond to. Um, maybe it is touring and playing in front of people, but maybe it's it's being a songwriter. Like it, It's going to be different for you, for mm-hmm. me, for you, the royal you, for anybody. And and as we get older, it's very important to to be mindful about why we're doing this and, and then recognize, like, is it worth it? Because sometimes it isn't, but I think for most of us it is. And it's just, it, it's, it's good to be thankful for the positives that come from this whole music creation, art creation thing, yeah. rather than just focusing on, like, all right, I need to get some more likes on Instagram or I need to totally, like, pay my bills, which, frankly, my goal is is to be able to make a living wage off of all musical things. And I'm, and I'm working on it. You sure. Know? I'm not quite there yet, in one necessarily, and- in one way or another. So that that is my goal, and I'm, and I'm mindful of that. And when I eventually, I do believe I will eventually be able to achieve that goal, that's going to be amazing. But I also know that in the meantime, there are all these other things that I love about it, the act of creation, yeah. getting better at editing waveforms or whatever it is these little like little battles that you fight recognize those set goals be mindful just reflect on what it is that you're doing and why you're doing it and i think i think we'll be better off for it it's beautifully said that's it. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't end it better than that. I don't so. think I could end it better than that's that. Either. great, dude. Man. This is gonna be another easy one to edit. I think. Good. Sweet. I, I, I'm glad. Me too. All right, Bye. buddy. <laughs>